Hi, you're listening to Elevate, the podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. These generational curses aren't just limited to money or limited to where we live. It's limited to how big and far we can think outside of the boundaries of what those previous generations believe. I had been used to using routines and structure as a restriction of what I can't do and not seeing it as a life of what I can do. If fear isn't there, then are you trying? Because <laughs> when fear shows up, you're like, oh yeah, we got a player now. I'm about to do it now. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast, a series designed to explore teachings, ideas, and thoughts on empowering young girls while celebrating difference. I'm Ramita Anand, your host, teacher, and educational mentor, and I'll be chatting with insightful activists, thought leaders, creatives, and all-round brilliant champions for girls. Through these conversations and my work at Elevate RA Mentoring Services, I hope we can join forces to foster meaningful connections in order to alter the narrative around what being different, especially for young girls, signifies. An army retiree with over 22 years of combined enlisted and commissioned active federal service, my guest today is the founder, developer, and all-round do-gooder at Transition 365, an organization committed to inspiring and nurturing veterans to gracefully and powerfully thrive. She is a TEDx speaker, and is the best-selling author of The Unraveling of Captain Gordon, Transitioning from Soldier to Civilian Life. She has impressively created a series of online courses, live events, and conversations to empower veterans to embrace their transitions. Her leadership skills were developed and tested by living and serving all over the world. She says, knowing that being adaptable in your career and home gives you the ability to respond quickly to changing ideas, responsibilities, expectations, trends, strategies, and all other processes. Today, as the CEO of a strategic leadership and consulting firm, she helps organizations improve their bottom line by reducing turnover by tapping into the leadership skills of their employees and management. This includes championing diversity and inclusion opportunities and improving the culture for our youth. She has a message that is so important for teens, and that is how to create your own mental health strategy. As a veteran, she is used to having to constantly deal with emotionally triggering situations and new environments. Right now, I thought this conversation was timely with so many people struggling with the constant turbulences in the news, being in and out of lockdown and quarantine, and the lack of social connection. I felt her strategy spoke to me in volumes and I hope will resonate with many of you. Her idea is are based around getting rid of limiting beliefs and replacing them with powerful certainties. A message to get us all elevated. Thank you so much, Nyota Gordon, for joining me on the Elevate podcast. A very, very warm welcome to you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. That. That sounds dope. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm so happy. 
Oh, it's so it's so lovely to have you join you. Uh, hopefully you're keeping all right in the midst all of the madness in the, in the US at the moment and the world. It's not just in the US, but are you keeping well? <laughs> I am. I am. Um, due to my mental health strategy, <laughs> um, I, I really am. You know, um, thank you so much for asking. I hope you're doing well. Look well. Yeah, we've been pretty lucky out in Singapore in terms of how strictly they've been keeping us sticking to things. But it hasn't been easy for anyone, really. I think being away from family, being cut off from loved ones is, is a tough ask. So I'm going to speak to all of this, I think, to you and particularly how it relates to possibly young children who thrive on social friendships and connections at this difficult age and stage of their life. So, so much of your current work stems from your experiences. And if I may, I would love to start from your dream or your knowledge of always knowing that you wanted to be a veteran. I wonder if you could share this journey with us and how you decided that this is what you really wanted. You say you always wanted to be in the military since the sixth grade. <laughs> Tell me, where did that come from? You know, um, I was enrolled early by my uncle. My uncle was a command sergeant major um, in the military. And he told the best story. So this speaks to the power of storytelling. Um, he would tell these amazing stories about eating dead birds and eating snakes. And I was like, you know what? I want to eat dead birds. I will be eating snakes. I'm, I'm doing it. So <laughs> that, was, that was my motivation. Um, yeah, so, but this power of story, you know, it was just so visual and exciting. And I was like, that, that has to be better than, than what I have going on here in my hometown. So as a young girl, you had this vivid imagination and you were obviously a bit of a daring soul because eating birds and snakes was not something I ever wanted to do in sixth grade, nor is it anything I want to do now. But clearly... It's something you had in your in your deep, deep desires, which is fabulous that your the power of storytelling and your actual visions became your reality. But I think there are very few of us that have such a strong feeling of conviction around what it is that they see themselves doing as an adult. I think the fact that you knew at the age of you know, 10, 11, 12, which is really the age group that I work with, it can be quite confusing because I actually think a lot of the jobs that our kids are going to go and do when they get older haven't even been invented yet. I think they're going to create them. So it's it's an interesting uh, comparison to think about how when you are destined to do something, it sometimes just speaks to you. It doesn't matter how old you are. So that's quite inspiring, I think, for, for my listeners to hear. Um, and once you were in the military, what was it like being a female and a female of color? I, I just know there's so much conversation about this at the moment, but I wonder what your experiences was, were like. Um, first, I want to lead with I didn't eat a dead bird besides hot or a snake. <laughs> so I just want to. Say, That's know, good I, for any girls considering the military. You don't have to do what she what, what she thought she had to do. That's good. And I actually um, became um, a paralegal for the military, um, and then ultimately um, an information technology um, professional, and then cybersecurity. So that was my path. There were no dead birds involved. Um, but um, the military is um, a, a male-dominated um, career. So there, were, there was lots of misogyny. There were lots of um, me crying in the bathroom. I, tell, I spent 
so much time um, in the bathroom crying and not because I was highly emotional or anything like that. When those tears were coming, that's, I was angry, you know, because there are all of this structure about, you know, what you can say, what you can't say, where you fall in the structure of, you know, rank and who's the boss and all of those sort of things. So there's that overarching, um, I, I say oppression of, of being in these, um, in this male dominated space and the males are on those higher ranks are mostly, um, white men. So here I am um, as this black woman, educated black woman um, who is articulate and, and you think that would work in your favor, but not always because there, there are these um, preconceived notions of what a black woman is, um, what she can do, what she can achieve. Um, you know, we're highly sexualized um, in, in lots of spaces. And um, it, it could be very, it could be uh, very daunting, you know, it, very daunting. Gosh, thank you for sharing what could have only been quite a trying time for you to have to navigate all of those types of experiences. Did you think you had the skills at that point or were you young? Were you quite young? And I imagine it was really difficult. How did you get through those situations of difficulty? Yeah, in the beginning, um, as a paralegal, that that portion of the military is um, very professional, you know, because you're working um, for attorneys. And so that part isn't as as stressful because when and also on the other side of that, when I very first came into the military, I was driven by, you know, what what it can be, the possibilities of travel, leaving home. So when you're being pulled by what you think it could be or what your mission you believe, you know, I, I believe that it was part of my mission to protect and defend my country. You know, so when you're pulled by this bigger mission and you're leaving from home, I'm leaving from home, I'm away from my family and I feel like I'm an adult. So it's, I, I dare say I was jaded in the best ways possible at the beginning. So I'm, you know, just turning 18, you know, leaving from home. So I'm hopeful. Mm, yeah, of course. It's that sense of excitement and the curiosity of what the world has for you and how you might. So were you extremely then, is it fair to say, let down by the reality of it all? I, my disappointment with the military actually started when I became an officer. So I was enlisted first. Um, Enlisted. I don't. I don't know if you know the difference. There's supervisors and managers. So I kind of was in that management and doer when I first came in, and those were my my happiest times as a doer. Um, when I became higher um, management and responsible, and you're you're privy to um, conversations, you're privy to um, attitudes, you're privy to um, disrespect and so and and I was able to see the absolute value of people you know I could see who they were when when they thought other people weren't listening and so that's when my disappointment started and um and it and, and it even elevated a little higher 
when I when I left the military. Mm. Yeah, I'm going to come on to that next, actually, so that I'm, I'm assuming then the drive to do the work that you're doing now is sort of inspired been by the experiences that you've had. They've shaped you in a way, taught you things about yourself, which has then shaped the work and the mission that you're currently working on so admirably. You're working very hard currently to share a message, which is a mission you wish others to choose to accept, and that is to gracefully and powerfully thrive on the other side. Now, obviously, your work is in transition from the veteran to civilian life, but I feel that this type of philosophy can be applied to any stage and change of life for any of us, because particularly as we've seen in the last year, that transition change is part of life. And I am I correct in understanding that you can apply the things that you teach and, and work on to all of us at any point of change. And I wonder if you wouldn't mind then expanding on some of the key elements I know that make the change a successful one for somebody who's struggling with change. Absolutely. So I've actually been um, coining myself as an adaptability coach because what I have learned is through these transitions, um, moving from place to place, being used to having structure and then not having structure, you know, um, going to school, graduating even is challenging um, because you get used to these routines, getting used to moving and always being in motion. And what I've learned is the skill of adaptability comes from those highs and lows of transition. Um, and what I've learned is that I can create the structure that I need to be successful. Um, I've also learned that there's freedom within the boundaries of structure. Um, I had been used to using um, routines and structure as a restriction of what I can't do and not seeing it as a life of or expectations of life of what I can do. Um, so what I've learned is to um, create the life that I want to live within the boundaries that I set for myself. And how difficult is it to create those boundaries? You know, the, the hardest part that I've discovered about setting boundaries is giving myself permission to do it. Because mm. you find yourself spreading yourself too thin. Are you? Of course. And, and, and I'm a service person, you know, mm. I want to help. I want to fix it. And so when that's um, the personality of like, oh, I can fix it. Oh, I know how to do that. Oh, I can help you. And then when you look up, you're like, this is that empty cup they were talking about. You know, you can't give from this empty cup. So um, what I've been learning lately is it's very important to choose me first and putting those things around me to pick me first, which looks like um, a, a mental health strategy, a morning routine. Um, and deciding on within your boundaries who to let in and outside of those boundaries, you know, and what activities to let in and out of those boundaries that I've decided, you know, that support me, um, no matter if it's COVID, no matter if it's, you know, civil unrest, no matter if it's my family, um, no matter if it's my my friends, or no matter if it's me, <laughs> you know, because a lot of time I'm the one who breaks down those boundaries. 
Yeah, of course. It's really interesting. What you said speaks on various different levels of being a female. The term people pleaser came to my mind a little bit because I think a lot of of us are guilty of thinking that if we keep pleasing, that that will somehow make it validates us and it gives us the reason. But I think the idea of actually vocalizing or writing down or making clear what your boundaries are can help with how much you're trying to please everybody else. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, and it's interesting because we don't, we, Nyota, me, when I'm saying we, I'm talking about me, <laughs> you know, when I say, oh, I'm a fixer, you know, I speak in solutions, right? You, you tell me something, I'm like, oh, I know the answer to that. You may or may not even want to answer. You just may want me to just listen. And, and that's kind of part of, I'm trying to please someone that doesn't even want to be pleased. They just want you to listen. And so um, that's also part, just giving yourself the pause to listen and think, does this person want me to help them or do they just want me to listen? And if those are the questions, that actually takes a lot of pressure that I seek out <laughs> to carry on my back when it's not even something that I need to even be doing. Interesting. And you think it's the work that you did as, in, in the military that maybe you've brought that level of awareness and astuteness, being able to pick that up on your empathy levels, really, isn't it? Is that you clearly want to make it better and it's difficult. So I wonder then if we take it back to your own personal experience about coping from the transition of being a veteran back into your civil identity, what it was like for you and where the change or where you decided that this next chapter of your life had to be helping those that, that struggle with it? Um, it took a couple of years before I knew that I wanted or, or felt that I needed to help. Um, because there was a year there that I call it my emotional gap year <laughs> that I cried for a whole year. Like I was sad. I cried. I was happy. I cried. I was bored. I cried. I just cried. And I think it's just the release of, you know, years of being in the military, years of being home, you know, years, you know, just going back to, you know, childhood situation. I just think there were just tears of like my whole life. And um, I, w I hadn't always been this bright and cheery um, until after my, uh, after my gap year. And so that's when I knew, okay, I can, I can help in this space. You know, I can help um, people learn to be um, adaptable um, through their transitions in a healthy way, to be adaptable in a healthy way. And knowing that part of that adaptability um, for me was being able to create um, a mental health strategy. And I didn't even really take that conversation very seriously. I just would say it to my friends, oh, that's not a part of my mental health strategy. Oh, working with other people, that's a part of my mental health strategy. It was just something that I, I said for me. Mm. And I love the fact that you say nothing that you do in terms of your mental health strategy has to be big. It just needs to be intentional. 
I really enjoyed hearing you say this as the integrity with, with one, which one acts has the ability to change the outcome so drastically and being able to take the time to be intentional can have profound implications on someone. I really would love an example or any kind of story that you can share to speak to this exact point, because I think it's extremely instrumental. You know, um, maybe about two years ago, I did a 40 day gratitude challenge. So every day I would post something on social media that I was grateful for. So those early days, it was big things. You know, I'm happy I woke up. I'm happy for my parents. I'm happy for them. But then by the time I was getting to day 27 and 28, it was like, I'm happy for my pajamas. I'm grateful for my pillow. But but just really um, I learned to get into the weeds of gratitude. So I play this gratitude game um, every morning. I say um, three things that I'm grateful for, but they can't be anything that I've ever said before. Something new. Every day it has to be three new things. Every day. So it could be my pedicure. You know, I'm grateful for this new book. I said, but just when you can get in the weeds um, of gratitude and just really being very strategic and intentional about like your gratitude practice and knowing that it can be fun, it can be this gratitude game, but it just has such, you know, rippling effects throughout my body um, when I wake up. Cause I do it before I even get out of the bed, you know, and, um, and, and I also, you know, think of three of my friends that I'm, you know, going to intentionally send love and blessings and prayers out to throughout the day. And I do that before I even get out of the bed. And I just feel like it's had such a profound impact on, on my personal life, you know. And so just sometimes I'm very intentional about doing that in the morning. It seems like a simple act, but one that might have profound implications and just a really helpful grounding exercise that I think can help teens, parents of teens or anyone struggling in their day-to-day management of just the chaos of life. You know, life is messy. Life can be difficult. And having these small little moments of, of simple acts of kindness can really change the direction and the path for so many of us. And it did for you. I've listened to your talk on, by the way, if anyone hasn't heard it, and it will be linked in the show notes, but to your TED talk, when you share the statistics around suicide in the military. I mean, that's just really hard to take. I don't know if you want to speak to that at all a little bit here or. No, absolutely. There's an average of 22, 22 suicides per day. And that is a mix of of veterans and active duty, you know, per day. And when you think, I am a veteran, you know, so when you see the face, you know, it's it's not some faraway person that's deployed. I'm a veteran, you know, I am the face of that of those suicides. And and so that just hits home, not just for me, but but friends and families of veterans you know, friends and families of active duty, that that can be someone that you know. Because life gets, yeah, life gets heavy, life gets hard. And is it the unpredictability of it all that you think is contributing to these people's view, thinking that there's no other way out, so they take their own lives? I think, I think part of, of, of what makes people 
move forward is they have something that pulls them forward. Like, like I, like I talked about when I first became, um, when I first came in the military, I was sold on the mission, you know? And, and I think when, when a lot of people leave the military, um, they don't replace the mission of the military with their own personal life mission. And so when you don't have something that pulls you forward, when you don't have a bigger possibility, then it's like, well, what am I here for? I, 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 I was in this place where I protected and defended the whole world. You know? And then now, now what am I, what do I do now? It's, it's horrifying. I can't even imagine the worry and the pain must people must be feeling to get to a place where they, they feel they've got no other way out. Um, and it's obviously an increasing concern. And I think the taboo around mental health is, uh, which, you know, I think a generation ago was, was a much bigger thing, not that we didn't speak about. And I love the fact that we're having conversations like this, but I still don't know if we've done enough to, to really, to crack it, have we? I think this is an ongoing process that we probably need to keep doing. Absolutely, because as we work to have these conversations, they're still undermining from those previous generations where it wasn't a comfortable conversation or you just didn't talk about it. So we're working in these, these what ends up being a circle. Mm, yeah, this thing that we speak about, which is like the process of unlocking and that sort of it does actually allude to what you were saying earlier about finding your sense of mission or your sense of purpose. But in order to get there, you have to unlock, unleash, allow your own personal seed to grow and flourish into the growth that it needs. And that then becomes your huge milestone. So that my, t my motto, my tagline for the company that I've created is lifting young girls to unleash their power. So I was really um, taken by what you say, which is all about breaking free and allowing, uh, as I said earlier, allowing this power to be unleashed. You speak about it. I'm going to quote you saying you were being told how to be a good girl. You had to tell yourself to hush your mouth. Remember what goes on in this house stays in this house because girls aren't loud. They sit back, be quiet, get out of our men's faces and stop being heard really. Then you go on to say you were kicking around in these damn bags of seeds and not reaching your full potential. I am so moved by this quote, and I think anyone listening will probably get the same goosebumps that um, I had reading it and then now saying it out loud to you. But I would love for us to spend a few minutes unpacking this and try to allow young girls particularly, and women, find ways that they can learn from what you've just said, because I'm sure they can. so many of us can relate to it. When I wrote this, as a kid, you know, although I was, you know, in this good household, you know, a good, a good family, um, it still had the restrictions of letting girls be free, even within the boundaries of the household. You know, um, in the household, you know, there's these, these rules, especially in, in my generation, you know, girls weren't loud and I am really loud. I am really like, I am really loud. And um, my dad was loud. And so he let us be loud. And my mom was like, whoa, like you're a girl, like your hair should stay combed. Like my mom hates this hair. 
this natural hair as it grows out of my head because it doesn't look ladylike to her. And so these, these rules of what a girl does and how a girl talks and how a, a, a lady acts, um, how a woman is supposed to be, um, when we talk about these generational um, curses, to me, that's one of the generational curses. It's not just about financial freedom and, and being um, abundant when it comes to money. It's about uh, being abundant when it comes to freedom of expression within the household. Um, it's about being abundant and being able to think past what you believe I should be or do or what career I should have um, when I grow up You know, and as a child. Um, it was okay for me to say I wanted to be an attorney, but when it was real that I actually wanted to be a soldier, well, that wasn't okay because that's not what a girl, a woman, a lady does. You know, so these generational curses aren't just limited to um, money or limited to where we live. It's limited to, you know, how big and far we can think um, outside of the boundaries of what those previous generations believe. Yeah. And so it becomes down to educating not the future, just not just the future generation, but sort of the generation before us as well, doesn't it? Do you think things have changed? I think conversations have changed. I think what people say outside of households have changed. I don't think the conversations of what happens inside of households have changed um, as much. Interesting. It leads me perfectly onto my next question, which is the idea of internal and external changes. And your messages around this for things to shift, you say it all has to happen from the inside. So yes, these conversations can be happening outside, these conversations, but unless they're happening within the homes, within people internalizing their and committing to the change, I think, from within and not just on the outside. It's an extremely prevalent and an eye-opening one. And I think for teens, because I think teens particularly often feel that, uh, or they find it hard to look within, first of all, or it's all about them, you know, and, and they don't necessarily know how to find places for change to occur because they look externally whether it's social media, whether it's their friendship groups, whether it's teachers, coaches, I find it an interesting balance for that age group. And maybe it's a rite of passage or maybe it's just a developmental time in their life. But are there ways that we can empower young teens to think about looking within for the change and not relying on somebody else to change them? If there's something that you like in another person, when you see someone and you're like, Oh, they're so kind. And this kind of play around with that. Am I kind? You know, I want to be kind. And you get to decide, you know, you get to decide of the, the ways that you see like, oh, look how she smiles. Do I smile? You know, mm -hmm. and I think it's a way of being able to bring those things. And it's okay to treat other people as a catalog, you know, treat their ways of showing up as Amazon for you. You know, there's a lot of ways that I didn't know 
that I wanted to be. I didn't know I wanted to write. I didn't know I wanted to smile. I didn't know that I could smile more until I saw it on someone else. Um, Trevor Noah has a quote, um, and I and I don't know it verbatim. It's like sometimes you you can't see the possibility. You can only see what you can see. So if to you, you know, success is having gold grill teeth and rims on your car, if that's as far as success you get to see, well, you can only see that within the boundaries of what you see. So just start there. The other thing I wanted to speak to you about was the idea of fear and insecurity and how that becomes the roadblock to so much before you can unlock yourself. Allowing people to project their fears and their insecurities, especially when you're a vulnerable teen, and often in the name of love and protection, can really bring young girls down. But how do you think if that is the truth, and lots of young girls need to be empowered, not let those fears and insecurities become the obstructive vehicles in their way to, to this path of clarity. How do they break away from it, do you think? You know, I think it's the conversation that you, you have with fear. I think it's the conversation that you get to have with being insecure. Because first of all, just acknowledge, you're going to be scared. So, so you might as well, that's just like, my hair is going to be gray. You know, my skin is going to be black. You know, I am going to be afraid. Yeah. So it's better to do, be scared and do it than not do it at all. Do it. Just do it. It's interesting. Yeah. That reminds me of a quote that I had from an author uh, who was on the podcast in one of the first series, Catherine Rundell. And she said, I often shake hands with fear. And I think I'm going to shake hands with you. Yeah. And it's exactly what you're saying is becoming friends with them. So giving them an identity, allowing them to have that presence and existence within you, but finding ways to embrace it. And if fear isn't there, then are you trying? Because <laughs> when fear shows up, you're like, oh, yeah, we got a player now. I'm about to do it now. Insecurity and fear, that's all the same team. When they show up, then you know you're doing exactly what you're supposed to do. I'm going to quote another little part about from your writing, which says that the change when it does come, that transformation, it's really important, though, when it comes to not ignore that the person you were initially and that that still makes you who you are. I love this because you never want to lose your true identity either. So I'm going to quote what you say. You say, it was me, seed me, but different, calm, bold, and confident. There was silence all around me. I was afraid, yet excited. In the distance, I could hear the seeds of my past calling out to me, trying to bring me back to them. But their voices were muffled by the packaging of the world, television and forced expectations. I am a brand new person with a foundation of my past, but with hope for my future. I come with the hope of bumping other seeds out of their bags of quilted mediocrity into the soil of transformation. This newfound confidence that you speak about is what so many of my youngsters with self-esteem issues would need so much greater reminding of. Can you speak to this part? Yes. You know, when we're locked into social media, 
you know, when we're locked into movies, you know, when we're locked, um, when we're locked into the conversations of groups of girls, <laughs> when or groups of boys, you know, when we're locked into these conversations, you can't hear your own internal, you know, self calling to be more. And when you're when you're able to allow yourself to listen to that inner you because your inner you knows your higher my higher nyota knows you know that there's more for me and you can't hear her you can't hear her when you're being muffled in 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 the social media it, because when social media gets together that's that group think and all of that and you know the answer but when you get caught in that bag of seeds in that bag of that bag of social media that bag of of being a part of the group and i'm not saying don't have friends and don't be a part of um you know of a community but take the time to listen listen to yourself because you already know you already know and and, and gift your gift yourself time to have that time of silence even if it's just 1 minute where you're just breathing and listening to your heart even 1 minute because she's trying to talk to you amazing i was really moved to see the incredible way that matthew mcconaughey has done his recent book green lights i don't know if you've seen any of his childhood journals and all of his diaries and all the things that he wrote to help him write this incredible book about going back that far with your thoughts. And it really made me think how much I would love to encourage young children to dump their thoughts out because in a world where we're constantly texting and WhatsApping and whatever it is that we're doing or writing essays on our computers and homework, that sometimes we don't always give ourselves the space to write for writing or doodling or whatever it might be. The last little bit that I wanted to talk to you about was what you say when you said this transition is something you go through. It's an actual process. It's not just a abstract thought. It's a, it's a process that you feel, you live, you breathe. And it has to be something that you have to allow yourself time and you have to give yourself the space to separate yourself. So you're sitting within these boundaries of your own selfishness, unwilling to change, unforgiveness and judgment of what I thought was a perfect life, what it should look like feel and taste. But I did everything I could to keep my perceived perfect life out of my reach. Now that is something I think all of us need to think about because I would love for us all to take something from this learning that you've been able to already transition from because we all as young people have a perfect notion of what our perfect life should look like. How do you address that now? I um allow myself to grieve yesterday. I allow myself to grieve 30 minutes ago, you know, because I can't go back there. I can only build a life forward. And so when you when you're not trying to hold on to yesterday while trying to grasp for tomorrow, like you're torn, right? So when I allow myself the space to to grieve yesterday, then my tomorrows become so much more clear and so much more attainable. And you allow yourself to change and like, oh, I don't, I can take that from yesterday, 
but I can't go back to yesterday, but I know that I can do this better tomorrow, right now, you know? And so that's, you're able to really actually step into those tomorrows and really be able to, as you're actually living in the life that you're creating. I think of it like that Billie Jean commercial, I mean, a video from Michael Jackson when he's walking on the sidewalk and it's lighting up as he's taking steps. That's what I think of how life is. Like you have to take that step and the world just lights up in front of you. You know, so the life that you believe that you want to create, and that's great because it can pull you forward, but you won't know until you take that step and let the world light up in front of you. That's a beautiful image to end the interview on. But I do think that the steps that you take that take the idea of actually reflecting and then being able to grieve on the bits that happened previous to the present moment now takes a lot of courage and a lot of bravery. So it's not an easy thing, I'm sure, but something that will allow you to then light up the next step if we take these, to lean into that pain maybe or whatever it is that you're feeling, if it's shame or pain or any of the negative feelings that usually stop us from going back into self-reflection mode. But sometimes it's not always the pain because sometimes the pain can prop- propel us forward. Sometimes we get we get held back by the joys of yesterday or the good times of yesterday because we want to hold on to it. Yeah, grieve that whole yesterday because there's better tomorrows. You know, there's better opportunities. Grieve the whole thing and move forward because we still are allowing that to to pull us whether it's, you know, great times or, you know, amazing times because we've had some amazing times and holding on to that yesterday or that great conversation can be something that's holding you back. And so just deciding to let go of yesterday deciding to let go of yesterday wow that is incredibly uplifting and really moving i think that's a brilliant place for us to end the interview on well thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today thank you so much for sharing your insights if anyone listening to this would love to get a hold of you and maybe have some more chats with you on their personal transformations, finding out what they can do to help transition um, themselves. Can they get in touch with you via your website, email? Absolutely. You can find me at transition365.com. That's transition365.com. You can find me on Instagram at nyota.transition365. Those are my main and, and you can find me on um, LinkedIn, but I'm sure your audience, they're not interested in LinkedIn. <laughs> it might be, you never know. But yeah, I, I will I will link all of that information on the website and your Instagram handle within the show notes for people to be able to find out more of your inspiring work. Thank you again for all that you're doing to help people get through these difficult times of change. Thank you so much for having me and thank you for all the work that you're doing. I wish I would have had you when I was little my that's very kind i think um upwards and forwards really that's what we need to do right keep going and and let it let it go from there so let's continue to elevate each other and elevate others in in the process of difficulty so i'm going to say thank you again from the bottom of my heart for being here really appreciated it thank you so much and that's everything from us today 
Thank you to all of you for joining in and being part of these very important conversations. I hope you will continue to support our cause by sharing the podcast to raise awareness with others. If you get a moment and could rate and review the podcast, I would also be hugely grateful. I'd like to extend a very big thank you to Ryan Prestipino from the Pine Studios for all the hard work that he does to help me bring this podcast to all of you. Until next time, stay well and speak soon. Bye for now.